Welcome to episode one of Dipsomania, the podcast about booze and cocktail culture. I'm Jake, and in this episode, Lance and I discuss the sidecar cocktail and so much more. Enjoy. So, cheers. Cheers. Sugary rim. I did not sugar my rim. So our cocktail of the day is the sidecar, which is not one of my usual drinks. Mine either, as I mentioned to you earlier, that I don't have any cognac. It's not a drink that I normally sip or enjoy. Mm -hmm. So, But I do have Armagnac. And the reason that I have a bottle of Armagnac was that it was uh, on like super sale at KNL Wines. Mm -hmm. And this particular bottle was like highly rated and 25 years old. So I'm thinking maybe this, maybe I'll like this. If, if I don't like cognac, maybe I'll like Right. And no, I still don't drink it. Yeah, I never liked cognac. It used to give me like instant headaches if I tried to sip it neat. This isn't bad. I'm, I'm, I'm liking this sidecar though. Yeah. I keep cognac around expressly so I can make vucares, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic drink. I think I also put it in the wrong glass. This is a fairly large, uh, this is like a two ounce Nicanora. Mm-hmm. Not really a cocktail glass, so I'm breaking that rule. But you don't have sugar on your rim, so... Right. Well, we'll get to this in a second, but I actually balance the drink in the glass <laughs> to somebody else's terminology. So I added a little simple syrup to it. I see. It is classically a three-ingredient drink. True. So you fucked with it. Well, no, I didn't even. So I have a large library of cocktail books and... Of all these cocktail books, every recipe for a sidecar is different. <laughs> oh, I just went online and I asked a couple of sites. And then I, I'm actually not using Cointreau either. I'm using the uh, Clement Creole Shrub, mm, okay, which is rum agricole based. Yep. So it added an additional note of sweetness, but the lemon offsets that well. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I like this better because I don't tend to like liqueurs. I find them syrupy, and it's not something that I... Like, you see those ads for Di Serrano and yeah. whatever, and they're like, just pour it on ice and drink it. It's super classy. Uh-huh. I never... I would never do that. Like, I'm not in high school, so I don't really want to drink syrup. Mm-hmm. But this is... And it's also a pretty color, I think. I don't know if that was... If that's because of the uh, Clement, but... Yours looks more clear than mine. Mine is very... Evidently showing the lemon juice. I used my little sieve to get all the junk out. I did too. So originally, apparently, the sidecar was like a Negroni. It was one ounce each of brandy, Cointreau, and lemon juice. Oh, all right. Which sounds like direct to me. (laughs) Yeah, it it sounds super fruity and sweet. Yeah, I don't like that much citrus, especially lemon juice kind of my least favorite of the citrus mixers. Mm. This is from Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails, which is an excellent book. And he says in his note that the beauty of this cocktail is that it's if it's too strong, you just decrease the brandy or too sweet, you add more lemon juice or too sour, add more Cointreau. He calls it a comfortably adjustable drink. I would agree with that. Which is also true of, say, a Negroni or something like that. Once you are familiar with it, you can fiddle with it. I used very little lemon juice. I think I used two ounces of the cognac, an ounce of dry curacao. I used the Pierre Ferrand dry curacao. And three-quarter ounce lemon juice. And part of that was actually Meyer lemon juice because I'm low on fruit. Mm -hmm. So that takes the sharpness out of the lemon juice even more. 
using the Meyer. So my recipe is I looked at I went to liquor.com and they did one and a half of the uh, cognac VSOP yeah. one and a half to three quarters to three quarters. Mm-hmm. And then because I was using this other ingredient, I went to their site and they do have a Crail sidecar, which is two ounces of actually they recommend using romagricole. Oh, wow. Instead of the cognac, along with the Creole shrub and the fresh lemon juice, but it's two ounces to one ounce of shrub to three quarters of an ounce of the lemon juice. That practically makes it a tiki drink. Yeah. Well, you know, they are down in Martinique, so maybe that's what they're shooting for. Yeah. And I do like this. Yeah. And it's actually interesting. Some One of my books pointed out that it's basically a margarita, but with cognac. Oh, yeah. That is true. And, and lemon instead of lime. And you don't... You say you don't like citrusy things? As far as drinks go, I'm only interested in having like one or two of a drink like this with that much citrus in it. I thought it was really interesting that everybody makes this drink slightly different. It was Morgenthaler that talked about balancing the drink in the glass instead of sugaring the rim. Mm -hmm. And he does one and a half cognac three quarters, three quarters, like your recipe that you found. But then he adds a teaspoon of simple syrup. And then PDT does a different recipe. Employees Only does a different recipe. Death and Company do a different recipe. Everybody. And do you have a, do you have a strong aversion to the, the sugared rim? Um, it gets sticky on the outside of the glass, and I don't like that. All right. But do you, so do you salt your margaritas? Yes. But you don't add salt to the margarita. No. I have actually seen somebody make mention of a salted simple syrup. Oh, that would seem to have limited appeal. Yeah, definitely. I'm not sure what else you would use. Like, well, I don't know. There was a, I don't know if you guys went through it, but here in San Francisco, there was definitely probably last year a big salted cocktail thing that happened. Oh, really? Yeah, they were adding like smoked salt, malden salt, and mm-hmm. different salts to cocktails. Um, but I think it's passed. I think I think we've gone through yeah. salted cocktails. I don't know what we're on now. We don't use really. We don't do the washed fat cocktails anymore either. I think we're right. we're, we're getting back to like just using liquor. Yeah, I I thought the washed fat, like you know the bacon whiskey and stuff like that, was actually kind of fun. But I'm glad it didn't become like a permanent thing. <laughs> Like, it, it was something interesting to try. Yeah, Dinah did a, a peanut butter washed, uh, what did she use? I don't, I don't remember what, what the what the base liquor was. She did the same thing that you do with the bacon, you know, let it in there and then she froze it and got the liquor out. And she made a drink using that and I, I want to say like cream de cacao or something. And it ended up being like a, like a Snickers bar that you would drink. Uh-huh. But the interesting thing to me was it really tasted more almondy than peanutty, which I actually enjoyed more. But it wasn't, it wasn't almondy like a, an almond liqueur, right? It just had the, the scent or, the, or, or like <laughs> a hint, a hint of almond. But I think it was successful. She hasn't done it again. I think, it, you know, it, it is one of those things you experiment with to see what, what happens. Right. If, yeah. Like, does this actually work? And then you confirm it does. And it's like, well, it was neat, but it's not really worth the effort. Yeah. And I never had any of the bacon washed or the fat or the other meat washed drinks. I did a bacon rye. To be honest, it should have been a bacon bourbon. Mm -hmm. The rye just had sort of too much spice and backbone and kind of fought with the bacon flavor. So here's something that came up this week. I went to dinner with friends Friday night and big, big bourbon fans, turns out. These are people I didn't know so i guess friends of friends Mm -hmm. and being at a dinner party 
I brought a bottle of wine, as you do. But they did bring a bottle of bourbon, and uh, it was Basil Hayden, yep. which is a fine bourbon. I enjoy it very much. It is. And we started. We did start talking about whiskeys in general because, in in my head, it's it's all of a thing. Like if you like bourbon, you're gonna like rye. You're probably gonna like scotch. You might not go strong Ooh, on the scotch yeah, side. Scotch, scotch is a whole another category. Well. I, yes, I, and I see that now, and I also realize, just based on my own history, how I learned to appreciate and, in fact, enjoy scotch. It was a slow process, and it was it was really an educational process as well, because I was used to thinking of things that I put in my mouth as flavors you're used to having in your mouth, right? As opposed to this, this is like iodine or dirty bandage or yep, the, the other yep. uh, typical scotchy things that you. You hear. My wife describes scotch in two flavor categories. Either it tastes like bananas or it tastes like band-aids. I have never gotten the banana thing. Yeah. Is there a specific scotch she feels is banana-y? It's something to do with, like, which kind of phenols are in it. I can recognize the ones she calls bananas as, like, yeah, that sort of tastes like bananas, but I don't think I'd describe it as bananas. Mm. Just a side note, I am going to agree with you on the sugared rim. The other problem, not that it gets sticky... It's unpleasant against your lips. It's kind of sandy or something. And you're like, do I chew it off or what do I do with it? I don't have that problem with the salt on a margarita. Well, I think also because the salt isn't sugar, it doesn't stick and become this weird cement thing around the edge. I like it from a presentation point of view. Oh, yeah. Especially in like the holiday season, you can do cinnamon mixes and stuff like that and like Mm -hmm. do all kinds of fun things but yeah just sitting around at home and having a cocktail for a podcast no not so much to be honest like when i'm making cocktails at home i hardly ever garnish unless it's a luxardo cherry because those are delicious we'll come back to that because i i do want to talk about that but First, backtracking even further yes so they had this basil hayden which i i consider a really smooth bourbon like it's it's not i don't want to offend anyone but it it's it isn't it's an inoffensive bourbon right it's kind of a bourbon that anybody is going to like it's not challenging but it's it's strong so i asked them about the other things and they 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 both the couple had a strong dislike of rye which surprised me i don't understand that yeah i don't either i'm glad you share my opinion on this because i i was I was trying to convince them that they really do like rye. No, you like rye. I just think of rye as like a less sweet bourbon. Like a little bit spicier, less sweet. Yes, and it, it does tend to have a little more heat to it as well on, on the back. Yep. But And I actually enjoy rye more than bourbon. I think for the same reason that I tend not to like the liqueurs is that bourbon after a while is, to me, very sweet. and kind mm-hmm. of it, It's not something I want to sit around and sip on a rock or, you know... Something that's really good and like cast strength is different than most bourbons you'll find people having on their shelf, and I enjoy those quite a bit. But same story, like give me a high quality cast strength rye, and that's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, I I agree, and I also this will also sound bad. I think there are like baby versions of of bourbons. Yeah. As, as well as baby versions of scotch, like things that are easy on your palate and you can just like guzzle. Right. And, I, and, and I'm not offended by them. But at the same time, I, I kind of want people to start there but move on. And I think a lot of people don't move on. So I have a question about 
your friends, your new friends, did they use ice? They did. They did use ice. I would have guessed that. <laughs> are you are you being a little judgy? Maybe a little, maybe. Yeah, I probably wouldn't use it with like a Basil Hayden or a Woodford Reserve at all. Um, in fact, most bourbons, now that I think about it, I don't use with ice. I may put a little bit of water in. Bourbon in particular, I actually enjoy cooled a little bit. So I'll do like a single, like I have the one inch by one inch molds. I'll do one of those in like a heavy pour of bourbon. Okay. And then there, and then there was another comment during the party, uh, which you often hear, or at least I often hear, mm-hmm. that the bourbon drinkers wished that they liked gin better. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, you can. Right. It's not necessarily a wish. It was just curious to me that they, because I have heard that before, where people who don't like gin want to like gin. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I can uh, agree to an extent because I did try different cognacs, right? Yeah. I kept saying, well, maybe this isn't a cognac for me. No, I just, I don't like cognac. I only like cognac as a sort of secondary ingredient. Like I said before, I love the Vucare. So do you make that a lot? Uh, especially in the cooler weather, yes. Oh, really? I would think of it as a hot drink, hot weather drink, not a hot, not a hot vocare. I mean. yeah, well, no, because it's it's whiskey and cognac and sweet vermouth. I mean, it's a fancy Manhattan, and it's got the spicy notes from the Benedictine that goes into it. Okay, it seems like a holiday drink to me. I relate it so strongly to New Orleans, and then I think of New Orleans as hot and sweaty, and True. so that maybe that's why I'm thinking. No, that, that's where it's from, and that is a valid thought process. But for me, it's. It goes hand in hand with Manhattans, and I tend to drink Manhattans in the cooler months. Hmm. I drink Manhattans all the time. I really, it, it is right up there. Martinis and Manhattans, maybe because they are simple and they're really difficult to fuck up badly. So I think you can honestly ruin a Manhattan. Well, yeah, the foamy Manhattan yeah. not, is not good. I think everyone can agree with that. I think a shaken martini is still going to be reasonably good. Yes, I would agree with that. As long as it's gin and as long as it's cold, a martini is okay. And even if you put really crappy olives in it or whatever the whatever the garnish is, it, it's still good. Right. What's actually fun is making someone who knows how to shake a martini a better martini and like, try this. And it's like, oh, that's totally different. And I think I like it. But, um... Ruined Manhattan is a ruined Manhattan. No, at this point, it's like, you know what? Can I have a Negroni instead? (laughs) Because that really is hard to fuck up. It's reliable. I enjoy it. It honestly is probably my favorite cocktail overall. And again, no garnish for you. No orange peel. Uh, The orange peel takes it to the next level. It makes it far more enjoyable. But I enjoy it just fine without the orange peel. And I don't, like, do the volume of making drinks that (laughs) peeling the peel off an orange for a cocktail makes sense. Because I'm not going to use the rest of the orange. But do do you do it for guests? Yeah, if we're having a party, I'll get a big bag of citrus and... Or even your friend is over. Like, so I I have a friend at a time because I live in a hovel tiny San Francisco apartment. I can't yep. really have cocktail parties. But I think I, I 
take pride in making a good cocktail, and for yeah. me, part of that is the garnish. Mm-hmm. So I've got like, I've got the regular vegetable peel to make the big ones. Mm-hmm. I've got the other one that has like the little divot, you the know, that you can go around. Knife. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, pra- I do practice like mm-hmm. occasionally because I want to, I want to make a, an impressive looking cocktail yes. as well yeah. as a good tasting cocktail. Yep. Because what is it the mouth you taste with your eyes first or whatever the right. yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. chefs say, <clears throat> and I think but I, I don't think it makes it's not like um, it I, it's not like it's going to make up for a bad cocktail like <laughs> no no look at this beautiful presentation this like the the glass is important and all those things are important it, it really does change it like you can have a perfectly made cocktail with excellent ingredients and then make the same cocktail with a good garnish. And that one is vastly superior. You mentioned before that you're not a Garnish fan, or at least you... you... No, I just... I, I, I am a Garnish fan. I'm just... When I'm making cocktails for my wife and I at home, I, I don't bother. Because, you know, especially when it comes to, like, doing twists and stuff like that, you're just ruining citrus. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I But I, I think I plan it so that if I am going to use the peel, then I'm going to keep the juice for later. I just sure ream it into a container and stick it in the fridge, and I I'll use it. Right. So I don't I don't think I waste too much of it. I but the uh, so the other garnish is so olives, cherries. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you're you mentioned before that you use the Luxardo. Yeah. Is that is that it for cherries? That's your cherry of choice. It's the most reliable, like something I can find that is good. Mm-hmm. Have you tried? There's the ones I don't know what they're called. They come in that like white porcelain. Yeah, actually, yes, I have tried those, and they are fairly indistinguishable from looks. I yeah, I think so too. And they're aren't they more? They're more expensive, be, probably because of the beautiful container that they come in. Probably. And you can never go through that many. Like they start to crystallize before you ever get down to the bottom. Right, and so the crystallizing is a thing that happens with Luxardo cherries as well. And is there a way around that? I counter it with booze. <laughs> Pro tip, ladies and gents. So you just pour some booze in the jar? I pour some whiskey in the jar. Oh, that's okay. Even though they're brandied cherries, aren't they? At this point, who can really tell? Yeah. And I did, have you tried making your own brandied cherries? I have made booze-soaked cherries, so like without mm-hmm. any sort of sugar syrup or anything like that. Yeah. And they're <laughs> sort of a middling experience. Like, they don't get... They're not the little bitter cherries that Luxardo uses, the little Marasca cherries. hmm Which are nice, tight little fruit, and if you get Colorado cherries, they're like larger sort of Bing cherry-sized yeah, and they just get kind of flabby, and they lack a little texture compared to the Luxardos. Yeah, I I tried uh, so absinthe here in the city has a cookbook, and they make their own brandy cherries, and they publish the recipe online. And I did try one year making my own brandy cherries, and I would agree they're worth just buying. Yeah, making them yourself is it's 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 a hassle, and you do have to pit them, mm-hmm. and that takes time, and then you do end up with like these kind of flabby things that are just not the same. They're not pleasant, but I have, 
So I have the Luxardo cherries. I have, I think I told you last week, I have um, pickled grapes. Yes. Which are interesting. And work with, so I made a drink last night. I I made some watermelon juice and you have to use it in about a week. So last night I did a thing with two ounces of gin, half ounce of peach shrub, and an ounce and a half of watermelon juice. Because watermelon juice, you, if you want to taste the watermelon, you got to use, you. I don't know what they do, but you got to use a lot of it. Right. And then I, I used the uh, pickled grapes with that. And because of the peach shrub was already, you know, vinegary. Yeah. That was, it was awesome. It was very, it turned out really good. I'm, I'm noticing you have a wide variety of shrubs. I, I, I don't, well, I have two. Do I, do, I think I just have the, I have Is the peach just shrub. The two? I just have the two, okay. the quince shrub and the peach shrub. Well, and what was the Creole thing that you made your side? Oh, with? well, you know, I don't, I don't know if that is a shrub because it, I, it's not made with vinegar. It's made with rum agricole, ag, rum agricole, mm-hmm. orange peel. But and, and they were talking on their side about how they make it because I was curious what was the difference between this and using a Grand Marnier. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not really a shrub, so I don't know why they call it a Creole shrub. Okay. And it comes in a giant bottle. I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's not a little bit of big. Huh. It's it's an ample amount for you to use, which is probably why I still, I mean, I bought it like two years ago out of curiosity. Right. So maybe I should make more of these because it's, it's, this, it works really well on this. Yeah. Yours sounded better than mine, to be honest. So you mentioned uh, in our notes for the show, the millionaire cocktail. Yeah. Let's real quick do the discussion of orange liqueur, though, since you touched on Grand Marnier. All righty. So, what's your favorite orange liqueur? What do you keep? I uh, actually surprisingly have a bunch that I didn't know that I had a bunch of. So, I've got the, I have Grand Marnier, I have Cointreau, I have this, uh, the uh, Creole Shrub, and then I also have a bottle of the Dry Curacao. Mm-hmm. And I, I've in the past had a bottle of the Cambier because they didn't have the Cointreau and it's indistinguishable to me. They, right. they taste exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, before we started recording, I haven't really just sipped them to mm-hmm. see what they taste like different. This, uh, the, obviously the dry Curacao tastes completely different from the other liqueurs. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really found a, it's interesting to use in place of, but it changes the the flavor profile so distinctly. I don't know if you can call those cocktails <laughs> well, the same thing. And that honestly may be my problem with my sidecar because I use the dry curacao. Oh, yeah. I think I don't hate it, but I haven't found something that I love it in. I like it. I specifically the Pierre Ferrand dry curacao is a bottle that I tend to keep. And I'm struggling right now to even tell you what I use it for, but I tend to have that around. Are you are you using it as a substitute for like a Grand Marnier or a Curis, uh Cointreau, Cointreau, or Triple Sec or whatever? Does it work in a martini? I'm not a martini, a margarita. It does work. I like it in a margarita. Hmm. I've never, literally, never thought of using it because I'm I'm sort of married to yeah. standard because I like a margarita. I will have to try it, though. The other orange liqueur that I tend to keep around is the Leopold Brothers. 
which is fantastic. I have not tried that. I highly recommend it. All right. And and again, I can't tell you why I have so many orange liqueurs around because I don't tend to use them that often. Right. Like I I never have Grand Marnier and I only buy Cointreau if I'm going to do margaritas like in mass quantities. And orange liqueur is a good thing to have around because like it's fairly common that something comes up that uses triple sec or Grand Marnier or Cointreau. Like, as long as you have something that tastes like orange, you can approximate any of those recipes. Okay. Um, obviously, if it's calling for Grand Marnier, it's looking for something a little bit deeper and round flavored. But I remember why I keep the Cointreau around. It's for Corpse Survivors. Yes. I don't know why that didn't hit me in the head, because I love a Corpse Survivor, <laughs> but that is that's why I have it generally. Yeah. Should we... Pause for cocktail number two. I'm I'm dry. I don't know about you. I am dry as well. Yeah. And we're back. Hello. Did you do the same? I so I switched out the Clement uh, for the dry curacao. Hmm. And it's much more orangey. Okay. I switched out the dry curacao for the fancy pants Grand Marnier that I have. Mm-hmm. And changed the ratios a bit. I did one and a half cognac to one Grand Marnier and one Meyer lemon juice. Oh, all right. Um, I'm going to say that I enjoy this more than my other one. Um, maybe because, again, as we've also discussed, I'm not a big rum fan. Right. And the Creole rub is, uh, shrub <laughs> is rum-based. Right. So that definitely comes through as a note. And Agricole is so sort of raw tasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got the St. George rum Agricole, the California. Yep. One that they make, and I do still have it. I again, <laughs> not 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 to my taste. Mm-hmm. I need to find things to to ma- What can I what can I use this in that will mask its taste? Mojitos, make make some strong mojitos. I have literally never made a mojito. Really? Well, there's it, there's I mean I don't have mint hanging around generally. Mm. So I need to, like, plan those kind of things. I guess I'm having a mojito party. In my suburban mindset, I have a potted mint plant that pretty much lasts forever. I need to I need to do that because I do like mint in things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's something to put on my checklist. Just to have mint available for a nice julep now and then is well worthwhile. Mm, I will admit I have never had a mint julep. What? Nope, never had one. That's interesting. It's practically just bourbon with some mint and sugar added nearby, and lots mm. of ice. So, like, it's it's uh, it becomes a sippable bourbon drink. Mm-hmm. And I like, and again, it's it's like a Moscow Mule, right? It's got that little silver cup mm-hmm. if you want to do it upright with a little silver straw. Yep. And the the mound of ice. Yes. It's got a. It's got to stick up out, yep. and then the the lovely the cup is sweating, and 
Yeah, it, it gets not even sweat. It gets frost on the outside. It's kind of glorious. That, that definitely appeals to me. But I, for whatever reason, I mean, I've never... I guess if I go someplace and I see it on a menu, I always think, I could have that, but I could have an aviation or right. something amazing. You're right. I hardly ever would order even a Moscow mule, much less a julep out somewhere, because there's something more interesting available. I am now convinced that the Moscow, the appeal of the Moscow mule rests solely in using the copper mug. Yeah. Because we went somewhere and someone ordered one and it came just in a glass. And they just stared at it and like, that's not... <laughs> <laughs> That is not what I want. <laughs> that's a vodka buck. You definitely need, in that case, I don't think that, it may not be so true with a mint julep. I don't know. Having never had one, is it disappointing if it doesn't come all made up in its little julep thing with the, and isn't there, a, there's a julep strainer, right? Yes. And is that specific, did they make that specifically because juleps needed a special strainer or? No, because <laughs> I I usually build a julep right in the little cup. For for the audience at home, the look of incredulity on his face was really good. No. <laughs> I never make a julep like in a mixing glass and then strain it over the ice. Mm -hmm. So I never have used my julep strainer to make a julep. Oh, I do want to bring it. So this is, as we're talking about uh, technique... Uh, I was at Stuckey's, uh Club Modern, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. And are, do, do you know about Stuckey's? Uh Vaguely. I think, I think actually you were talking about it, probably when you went. Yeah. Uh, it was for one of our Tipple Tuesdays. We ended up there after going to uh, Liho Liho, actually, which was also awesome. But Stuckey, so <clears throat> uh, we were sitting at the bar and looking at the various liqueurs behind the bar, and we noticed he had both of... The Tempest Fugit, the Creme de Mint, and the Creme de Cacao. And we know that if we combine those two things with cream, you get the best grasshopper in the fucking world. Like, sure. Out of this. Because those are the two best examples of those liqueurs that I have ever tasted. Right. So we, and we see it's not on the menu, but we're like, you have the ingredients. Can you make us, can you make us grasshoppers? Cause we, again, we just had dinner, but we didn't have dessert. This was kind of our cocktail dessert. Sure. He had a, um, an old fashioned shake mixer, you know, the, the kind with like the bulbous, like the egg shaped engine at the top with the stock and you put the glass up in there and, and, and it kind of sits in this cradle and mixes. Oh, wow. So he made the, he made them in that. <laughs> and then and they were so and they you know they poured Frothy. out oh god that the presentation like we admired number one that he had that machine right and then the fact that he went i think i don't know that he does maybe this is how he makes like everyone should make grasshoppers this way everybody needs to have a like a, a milkshake machine at home but it it i don't know if it made it taste even better but it, it was like it was orgasmic it was the best possible Thing, like combination of everything, like watching him make it, the the machine and it's chrome mm -hmm. and beautiful, and he brings it out of the oh, car yeah. and pours the drink. Oh, it was it was awesome. I loved it. So feel free to veto this question and delay it for us a later talk. But I'm wondering what is the most complicated cocktail you are willing to make at home? 
probably a pisco sour. Very similarly, mine is the Ramos Gin Fizz. Yeah, and they're both super worthwhile. Yes. And I do the little, like the dots on the foam, and you use yep, the toothpick absolutely. to make little hearts. And I'm. Well, I, I mean, if, if you get a really good egg foam, like you need to decorate. Yes. That. And everybody's super impressed, and they think they're like, how did you do you shake it like on the foam? How do you make these hearts? And like I'm, I can't tell. <laughs> it's a secret that I've learned, and I promised I wasn't going to tell anybody. But the secret for those at home is super simple, right? Or should I tell them the secret? Oh, absolutely. All right. So you've got your Pisco Sour. And by the way, if you've never had or made a Pisco Sour, you definitely need to do both of those things. First go out and have one. First go out and have one. You you really – so you want to go someplace that does it well. Like I'm – you got to shake the hell out of it. You got to use fresh egg white. It, it, it's, it is so worthwhile. It's a delightful and delicious drink. So – but if you shake the hell out of it, then you get – and you do the dry shake, and we, we can talk about all these weird techniques and stuff. Right, right. After you've done all the shaking and your arms are just rubber, and you've poured it into the glass, and you have this thick foam on the top, then you add, and for me, it's four. I don't know if there's a specific number of dots. I think, I think it's typically supposed to be three. Okay. I do compass points, so. Yeah, I, th- I think I think in Peru, it's three sort of on the opposite side of the mouth. So, and if, like... If you want to do it right, you need to take the Angostura and put it in an eyedropper because otherwise you're not yes. going to be able to do this well. Because it, depending on the level inside an Angostura dasher bottle, you never know what's going to happen. Nope, and you'll end up you'll end up with little splattery things, and you're going to be so upset with yourself. So mm-hmm. take the time to do this. It's not that hard, and once you do it, it's so impressive. It's like a magic trick, basically. You don't want to give it away. So anyway. Put it in an eyedropper. You don't have to. I recommend that you do. And then uh-huh. you put, apparently, three or four drops of Angostura bitters onto the egg white foam, the foam top that you that you end up with. And it, it happens. You don't have to, like, worry about, like, having foam set aside or anything. It just it works magically. It floats to the top like the head of a Guinness. It's yes. Amazing. And then you take a toothpick uh, or any implement like a toothpick. And you basically just drag it in a circle through the the drops of Angostura that you put on there, and it makes these lovely little hearts, and it just yep. works perfectly. It's it's like um, it's an easy, much much simpler way of making a really impressive cappuccino. Yes, you don't have to worry about pouring the foam or working it into the no. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like you got the little hearts and lovely. Now now talk about the Ramos because that's also a beautiful drink. It's got cream, it's got egg, it's got all the foamy stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And then you top it with the seltzer water as well. Yeah, and the the goal, and so you serve this in like a Collins glass, a nice tall glass. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to have the egg foam actually extend above the top of the glass. And then you serve it with a straw. Mm-hmm. And it's it's phenomenal. It's real, And it's delicious. It is one of the best drinks I think I've ever had. It's so satisfying. So the the Ramos story I I can tell is uh, I was in New Orleans probably two maybe three years ago, uh, staying with my very good friend Pablo, um, who knows everybody in the city. He's a food uh, food editor or food uh, writer, uh-huh. and a lot of uh, us were coming into town to spend the weekend there, and 
he took us to, and I'm, it, it, it was a restaurateur's lovely home with a lovely pool. Everything was lovely. But <laughs> they had figured out how to make a rum. Like, so the other, the other thing about a Ramos Gin Fizz is it's hard to make it in numbers. It, it, oh, yes, because it's actually very hard to actually make two yes. at a time. And like most most cocktails are very easy to double in the shaker, and you can make cocktails for two, no problem. Mm-hmm. The Ramos Gin Fizz is very borderline to make two at a time. <laughs> it, is, it takes a while. You're going to have a lot of thirsty, not necessarily angry, because after they get it, they're super happy, but right. at least jealous people waiting in line to mm-hmm. get these drinks. So there were probably... Eight to ten people at this, and, and we were, and we all wanted Ramos gin fizzes because. So he had figured out how to make them in bulk, and the secret is, he had a paint shaker. Oh my goodness! Did the the Ramos did originate in New Orleans, right? Isn't there some story about them passing it along? And I'm fairly certain, yes. Yeah. Some bar is it, and it, and is it Ramos or Ramos? Ooh, that's a good question. I always say Ramos. I as well, but I don't know the correct. And I've heard it both ways. Anywho's. So, we are in New Orleans. It is hot. It is, um, I think we were there in May or June. And we're going over to this guy's house. And Pablo is promising us that we're all going to get Ramos Gin Fizzes. And, and I know, as you know, that it takes forever to make a Ramos Gin Fizz. If right. And he's promising us, no, he's figured it out. He knows how to do this. And we're thinking he's got, I don't know, a line of slave boys. <laughs> they all they all have a shaker and you watch them just line up. And uh-huh. they're all cracking the eggs and doing it like in unison kind of cartoonishly. But no, he puts the ingredients into a paint can. And one assumes this is a... Sterilized, pristine paint can. Um, and I don't remember the... the uh, how, what the ingredients are, or the, the, the or the uh, amount, but he had it figured out so that he could do this in volume. Puts it on the paint can, seals the paint can, hammer, 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 hammer. Puts it in a paint can shaker or a paint shaker. I don't know what it's. I don't know what the actual term is. Mm-hmm. And just lets it go for ten minutes. That's amazing. And then pours them all out, and it. We all got Ramos Gin Fizz at the same time. It was awesome. So that's in something in addition to the Proctor Silas shake maker. You yes. may you want to invest. In a paint shaker. In a paint shaker. There's lots of crossover there. <laughs> it depends on how much you love a Ramachan Fizz and how many friends you have coming over on a weekend. But I think the, fi- the fact that you can promise that everybody's going to get one and nobody has to wait, it's, it's great. That's that's amazing. I'm, I'm very impressed. I it, It's one of the one of my... Favorite times that I've ever had. Uh, the pool wasn't bad, but the Ramos was was really the the winner there. I would imagine having access to a pool would make New Orleans ten thousand times nicer. <laughs> it is. It's a little sweaty there. I don't know. I I love New Orleans. I am absolutely in love with New Orleans. But I, I think I the, almost died in New Orleans from the from the sweatiness. Well, because I was wearing like my heavy denim hipster jeans and a black t-shirt, and like I was an idiot. No, no, I mean that's my uniform, basically. So I, I can, I'm right there with you. I think, yeah. I think it's important to look good. We were marching around like 
my friends wanted to see cemeteries and stuff like that. And we were just <laughs> walking all around, and like I've I've done a little bit of research, and I know where things are, and like the one thing my friends who knew New Orleans told me was not to go to the touristy place that does the hurricanes. Mm-hmm. What's what's the name? It's like something O'Malley's or yeah. something like that. With the giant glasses that you can carry yeah. out, and yeah, and it's like don't bother with that. Go someplace good. Yeah, of which there are many. That was, I mean, the the advantage of having a friend who lives there is they will take you to those places. So it's not you're you're not relying on a on a book to tell you or your concierge or whatever. You like go over to Pablo's house, and then Pablo goes today. I'm taking you to this place out in the middle of Bodunk Fut Butt whatever, mm-hmm. which ha- but. They do this sandwich that is a combination of beef gravy and oysters. Oh, my God. Oh, my God is right. This thing. <laughs> and then they do. they. So the other thing is, um, and I can't remember what it's called, but I'm just going to call it scrapings. So after they make the, the beef, they mm-hmm. scrape all the of the griddle. little. Yes. All the little beef bits into the gravy. So you get this super unctuous, delicious dark brown beef gravy over fried oysters in a soft bun. Good Lord. It was horrible and I hate it and you shouldn't ever, ever do it. But oh my God. Oh my God. It's so good. And then the chopped salad and everything. That was, there's nothing wrong with New Orleans. Those people know how to live. There really isn't. So anyway, just to finish the story, we were marching around and it was, you know, probably like four or five o'clock in the afternoon, which... You would think it would be starting to turn cooler, but it wasn't. <laughs> no. And I was in my heavy denim jeans and my black t-shirt, and I was just wilting. Mm-hmm. And Do you know brain... what, time, what time of year was it? Oh, October, early October. Oh, and that's actually livable. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, compared to, like, August... Right. Or even we were there in, like I said, June. I would think October, but I don't know. It, it was a, it was apparently a hot year in October that year. I was wilting. I couldn't think straight. And, you know, my friends kept wanting to go over here and go over there. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm done. And then they decided they were done marching around to cemeteries. So, like, hey, Jake, find us a place to eat. Or, hey, Jake, find us a place to get drinks or something. And I'm like, I can't even think right now. Mm-hmm. And then we turned the corner, and there was whatever the place is. Oh, the hurricane place? Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not supposed to go to this place, but they have drinks. Let's go. <laughs> so we went in, and sure enough, it was... Actually, it was really impressive because they handle so many people. Is this the one with like, they're all like in Slurpee machines behind the bar? Like the frozen ones? Well, I mean, that's Bourbon Street as a whole, right? Is like all the Slurpee machines. And it is a whole. Hello. <laughs> no, I, I, I assume this place had Slurpee machines too. But uh, it has a nice courtyard. Mm hmm. And it's got a flaming fountain. <laughs> uh-huh. And things of that nature. Okay. 
And they do really heavy traffic, and they get you all your drinks at the same time, even though you're like 12 people. Uh, you know, they're syrupy, hurricane, like... But you're hot, and you're disgusting, and yeah, it's perfect. So, and there's a perfect photograph of me sitting at the table, forcing a smile. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to confess, I've been to New Orleans maybe three times, um, and I've never actually gotten out of the car when we've been downtown on, like, on Bourbon Street. Mm. Mm-hmm. We we go to like all the other places. Um, again, I'm rely I'm totally reliant on on Pablo to tell me where to go and, and what to eat and, and who to talk to. <clears throat> um, and he's not snobbish at all. Like if, if if it's a good place, he'll he he recommends it. And there are plenty of tourist places. The reason that they're popular is because they are good, right? Yes. Um, we're late in our schedule, and we still. Still have not talked to you about the Millionaire Cocktail. Okay, so we need to circle back on a couple of things. All right. Uh, The Ramos Gin Fizz is two ounces of gin, one ounce heavy cream, a half ounce lemon juice, a half ounce of lime juice, half ounce of simple syrup, a couple of dashes of orange flower water, and an egg white. And you dry shake it, and then you... Shake it with ice, and you, you shake the shit out of it. Is what you do, though. Forever, forever. Yeah. Again, it, it it's got a storied history. Um, there's apparently you're supposed to shake it for a, a, a specific number of minutes. Um, there there are recipes that tell you you're supposed to shake it at least like two minutes or three minutes, which I will testify is impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your hands get a little uh, you're, well again so the story is that they would pass it down right from hand to hand from hand to hand yeah. right yeah so and it would take 2 minutes mm-hmm. whether that makes any difference uh, you know it i think it comes down to the the idea about shaking in general like the japanese guy who shakes it for right. a specific way and well i make my ramos gin fizzes probably with about 30 seconds of shaking <laughs> which is ample i i shake very hard and you do the dry shake, as you mentioned, which helps. Yes. And I dry shake before the 30-second shake. But uh, I'm exhausted by 30 seconds. Like, we should mention, to those who don't know, a dry shake means you just shake it without ice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's in your shaker with no ice cubes. And you're just breaking down the egg white and combining the ingredients. So getting a little bit of a foam. And I've heard other people say you take the spring off the strainer. And you yeah. throw, throw that in as well. Sure. Yeah, I've heard that too. I haven't bothered. With uh, that. No. That's, yeah. It's perfectly delicious without the, the spring. Which is a good segue into The Millionaire. Okay. I, I, I write cocktail recipes and or articles for a very small print magazine that's distributed mostly around Denver. What's it called? It's called Nourish. Okay. It's a lovely little magazine, and I've been writing for it since the launch. So I've, I'm in four issues, and this will be my fifth coming up out of six that they've had. Um, so I was given basically eight or nine ounces of Grand Marnier Cuvée de Centenaire, or however you say French words. That sounds that sounds adequate to me. 
Cuvée is certainly correct. Right. You were given this by them? That's sweet. The editor of the magazine was given a bottle. Mm -hmm. So I was tasked with recipe testing and given some amount of the liqueur. I looked it up online, and it is definitely meant to be, like, sipped with ice. Mm. Or neat without ice. Because it's super special. It's their 100-year anniversary celebration, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I hope their press release literally says blah, blah, blah. <laughs> did you taste taste it? Like, did you do, like, a side-by-side comparison to see if it was super special? Compared to regular Grand Marnier? I didn't compare it to regular Grand Marnier. But you're not doing your job then, Jake. I'm sorry. I apologize. All right. So you, you get this super fancy free bottle of booze and... Mm-hmm. So I look up. What are standard Grand Marnier cocktails? <laughs> What's a cocktail that calls for Grand Marnier? Yep. And among the list were something I tried called a Red Lion which is very disappointing because it is not red. Mm-hmm. And then The Millionaire, which looked right up my alley because it's rye whiskey-based and it has an egg white. And it's supposed to have a nice foamy top. Okay. Unfortunately, the site that I got the recipe from is weird. <laughs> okay. In, in what way is it weird? Well, the recipe was for two cocktails. Which, please just don't do math for me. Like, give me one cocktail worth of recipe, and I will double it myself. And then, the way it worked out, the proportions were super funky. Either that, or I just made the drink horribly. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think so, because it was one of the first drinks I made that day. Okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you still have some of your senses. Yeah. All right. And uh, so the way it worked out is it ended up being three cocktail glasses worth of cocktail, and there was not enough egg white to actually provide the foamy top. It was Hmm. just a thick, viscous drink. (laughs) That sounds delicious. (laughs) Bring it on. So I want to see that on a menu. Yeah. What does this taste like? It's a thick, viscous drink. Yeah. Yum! Thank you. It's like slightly sweet motor oil. Not enough egg white. Thick, viscous drink. Yeah. Not not happy. No, not happy at all. I might try it again with a different, somebody else's recipe. Yep. But, uh, did not enjoy. Do you know, do you know where of it was, it originated? Uh, the Millionaire? I don't. I'm going to see if it's in my my newest book, which is The Cocktail Chronicles. So I I have found a site, which I won't name because they don't sponsor us, so fuck them. But uh-huh. it says The Millionaire is a group of drinks sharing the same name but with wildly different recipes. There are numbered millionaires, just like Corpse Survivors. I know this. It does sound like a good name for a drink. Yeah. Uh, this one is, I think, the one you were looking at, which is four ounces of yep, rye. Yep. Jesus Christ. Well, it's for two. Is but it? still, 
But still, do Four the math. Four ounces of rye. Do the math and tell me how many ounces that recipe adds that's, up to. That's a lot. And then one and a half ounces of Grand Marnier, four dashes of absinthe, half ounce grenadine, half ounce lemon juice, which is optional. You don't have to do that. <laughs> well, well and, I, did, I and, did do it. And one egg white, which I would agree, one egg white for two drinks is not no. egg, egg white enough. You need an egg white per drink. But yeah, so I ended up with three cocktail glasses, one of which was like a two and a half ounce, very small cocktail glass. Mm-hmm. But I filled three three glasses with a very viscous and reasonably tasty cocktail. Uh, and And you wanted to tell us about this because? Because that was something new I tried. And it failed. Well, yeah. What's because, what? Well, I so I, I this is unexpected for me. I thought you were like I thought you were going to highlight this delicious drink, and instead you're like, don't make this at home. Or yeah, use somebody else's recipe. Okay, um, we we're almost out of time. Well, what is something new that you have tried recently? You mean cocktail wise or ingredient wise or either or? Either or could be a new place you went to. Could be. Whatever the 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 thing that comes to mind uh, is that we did go and when I say we that would be my friend Dinah and I we do uh, we go for cocktails every Tuesday and we went to the uh, refurbished redone regutted and uh, re uh, originalized um, Cafe du Nord here in San Francisco which okay. is a storied bar then there probably <clears throat> at least 100 years right on market street mm-hmm. it's a downstairs bar um and they closed it probably a year ago and some some people took it over um it wasn't divey but it wasn't it really did need to have somebody come in and, and you know polish the brass and right. spark right. things up and i was very happy and very impressed i think they've done a great job it's not overly expensive the the one weird thing which I guess you can expect from any bar that's that's underground, is if you come in during the afternoon from the bright sunlight of California to the suddenly darkness, and you're walking downstairs, mm-hmm. just just be extra cautious. That use the handrail. You're yes, you're ent- you're entering a bar, and one one presumes that you're at least somewhat sober at first, right? But but. Literally falling down a stairway as you enter a bar is probably not the way you want to introduce. Probably it. not. That's so. Okay. I would I would just urge a, a note of caution there. I don't remember it being so dark uh, before, but because, um, but they 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 revamped the interior. The the bar is beautiful. It's all you know. I, I it's that thing where um, you they they came in and they noticed that it had been abused to some extent. Right. And all, all we really want to do is clean it up and polish it and leave it the way it is. Yep. Um, and uh, the, the drinks are amazing. If you are like me, one of those people who likes challenging the bartender mm-hmm. and and say, you know, give me something, and and they suss out the, the ingredients that you're looking for or what your current tastes are. Yeah. It's an excellent venue for that as well. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, they do open early, so you can walk in. I think around five. Nice. Uh, they they have a kitchen, so you can get a burger at the bar and just just kind of hang out and have a nice afternoon. It's, it was great. That sounds like 
your ultimate Tipple Tuesday destination. It was super satisfying, and will I, I will I would go back. Thumbs up, five stars, whatever whatever those ratings are. We'll 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 say yes. A plus 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 plus. Well, that sounds excellent. And since I've been doing book plugs like nobody's business, I will say that your friend Dinah authored an excellent cocktail book called The Art of the Shim. Indeed, uh, available via as an ebook or a book book, and I recommend getting the book book if yes. you're a, a book person because the the photography is superb, just beautiful. Um, and a shim, uh, if you're not aware, is a low uh, low alcohol cocktail. Yeah, so it tends towards the vermouths and the amaros, which make them very interesting cocktails. Yeah, you can try a lot over an evening without getting too sauced. Um, and uh, the the term shim comes from it's a it's that little piece of wood that you put under a, a table to to even it out. So it keeps you even through the night. keeps you keeps you balanced. Indeed. All right. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for joining me here, Jake. We covered some stuff that we planned to. Thanks, Lance. 